Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything different. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the No Lane Up podcast, the first ever emergency podcast. And for those listening on the first time, for the first time, you can find us uh, on Twitter at No Lane Up, or visit our website nolangup.com. But for the important stuff, we have Shane Ryan who dropped today one of the most profound and interesting and compelling golf stories I've read in a long time. It was the all-inclusive piece on Patrick Reed going back into his past. And for those that haven't read it, I suggest you pause and read the investigative report that Shane did on Patrick Reed. And here to talk about this report, how it came together, and what we're supposed to think of Patrick Reed now is Shane Ryan himself. Shane, what has this day been like for you? <laughs> What's up, Chris? Thanks again for having me. Um, yeah, it's been a crazy day, you know, it's, and I knew it would be. I haven't, I think I got two hours of sleep last night between like seven and nine. Um, and so, so I'm, I'm real tired. This, this interview might get real rambly and, uh, and a little bit psychotic, but hopefully not. But yeah, no, it's been, you know, so far the feedback's been good, but it's one of those things where, um, you know, as we've seen with other golf stories, sometimes the other shoe can drop hours or days later. Um, obviously the Dr. V story comes to mind where <laughs> the initial, yeah. you, you don't, I don't want to be fooled by the initial enthusiasm, you know? Yeah, you don't ever, I mean, I don't write stories like you do. This is nothing like I do as far as investigating, but you don't really know, I imagine, how a story is going to play until it's actually out. And even initially, like you said, the Dr. V story, well, it takes a while. I mean, if Patrick Reed comes back and refutes everything you said in the next two days, then you're going to probably be on the defensive and have people coming after you. So it's a good first run, You don't, but you never really know how a story is going to fu- uh, fully play out. Yeah, and it's interesting. Like if he if he does if they do come out and deny everything, it's you know my sources are anonymous, but I mean honestly, these stories anybody who's been around in golf has heard these stories a million times, and I'm the first one to get you know people as anonymous sources saying this stuff. But it's I don't know. I just I guess I just don't see a denial coming. I don't think that's how they'll play it necessarily. But we'll see. Uh, I'm ready for anything, and I'm very confident in the reporting. So. Yeah, it was clear that you spent a very large portion of time on it. I want to know, in your opinion, there's a, there's a lot of shocking things to me. I want to hear from you first what you were most surprised at as you uncovered these things and what what you think to be the most significant part of the story. I guess I think the big thing is going to be, and I, you know, the Golf Channel did a little blurb on it this morning, and their thing was cheating and stealing. And I think those are going to be the headlines that stick out. You know, I... I guess those surprised me, but again, I had heard these details early on, so it was not like something, it's not like I heard it from the source and was like, oh my god, it was more like, okay, finally I've got it, you know, when when somebody finally said it. I guess, I don't know if the most surprising thing was kind of learning what Patrick was like as a kid, where, you know, the anger had kind of always been there, and I just think there's an... um, uh, a sublayer of insecurity to to read that probably drives a lot of this stuff, and um, I think his identity is really you know tied in with golf. Which, whatever, he's a professional golfer. That's normal. But I think maybe more than normal, 
Um, and it's been that way, I think, for a long time. So, you know, I learned a lot about Reed, but I still feel like there's a lot there that I don't know and that, you know, probably a lot of it we'll never know, but I think we might see some some more stuff come out even um, over the years. But, yeah, it's just like you feel like you're scratching the surface and a lot of times when you write a story, you feel like you understand someone after. And in this case, I don't know still that I do. Yeah, I think... Uh... <laughs> That's interesting you say that because, yeah, you're trying to get to the bottom of something, and I think you, you end up walking away from this one with more questions than you do answers as far as what, what is driving this person or what, how this person operates. Because I don't th- really think a lot of people can relate to like, the, what, what you've written because it's, it's not something a lot of people have really experienced in their life. Not, it doesn't sound like a person that you come across on a daily basis. And it, uh, one thing that the, the thing that shocked me the most and my, literally made my jaw drop when I read it was that he was suspended for cheating. And what made that so, I guess because that's the first time I'd ever really heard anything like that. I don't have my ear as close to the street as you do. and But I do know, and in talking to some of the, the few PGA Tour pros that I do know, how seriously they take the rules. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a true code of honor. And the guys that have, have made even the slightest loose move in a, in a tournament or in a, in when being paired with somebody, that gets remembered. I, I was talking to one of my friends, and I said, yeah, you know, do you know this guy, so-and-so? I used to play with him as a junior, and he's like, oh, yeah, that guy, I remember what, when he pulled this. He, he, he illegally dropped this ball like, in 2009. I'm like, what? Like, how do you remember that? So for, <laughs> yeah. for that to be, uh, to get truly suspended for cheating in a qualifying match, that was absolutely shocking to me. Yeah, and you know, and cheating is one of those things. It's just such it's the harshest possible word. It's even harsher than the word choke, I think, which golfers also hate. But you look at the Brandel Chambly thing with Tiger, when he used that word cheater on him, it created a huge storm because it's such an important word and golfers are obsessed with it. I mean, I think you probably know the Blaine Barber story where he um was in Q school and he qualified, but he kept thinking back to the fact that his ball might have moved when he was in the bunker. And a few days later, he kind of called himself out on it and penalized himself and lost his chance to, to get his PGA Tour card. Uh, and the funny thing is, the, the person who, who advanced because he dropped out was Chesson Hadley, who obviously went on to become Rookie of the Year last year. Um, and Blaine Barber now is on the PGA Tour this year, and he's doing pretty well, so it's a happy ending. But it's just such an obsessive... Uh, it's such an obsessive impulse not to cheat for golfers, and it's such a huge, huge thing when you do. So, yeah, that that's going to stick out to a lot of people. That's going to be the big thing, I think. Yeah, I mean, on tour, it's a scarlet letter. It's it's basically a, tat- a scarlet letter that's tattooed on you that never goes away. I mean, VJ had his issues back in the 80s when he, I mean, the very strong story is that he just basically changed the number on a scorecard to make a cut, and he's never been able to live that down. I mean, he's had a lot of other hairy issues in the past as well but it's something you can't really get rid of and that's what I was just kind of surprised that I'd never heard that about Reed if this was this widely known I guess amongst those guys but it also kind of goes to I think you can attest to this more than I can as well that the tour guys don't like to talk a lot of shit about each other especially when it's on the record yeah no no it's very it's very difficult you know it's funny though and I I can't remember if I mentioned this in the story, but in the in the chapter in the book where this comes from, I do mention I got a lot of quotes from people like disparaging Bubba Watson. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that was that was the one that was the one exception. I mean, people there's something about uh, you know Bubba that, that it just did. But you're right. I mean, it's other than that. I mean, nobody would talk about Reed. Um, 
that's yeah that's it, it's just incredible i mean it the code of silence i mean the amount that people don't like this guy but the amount that they won't say anything bad about him you know like you, you saw the quotes from Harmon, but you know harris english is another guy who has maybe like the most reason of all to to want to kind of submarine read and, and he won't either and yeah, just uh, like I said, it's like an Omerta thing. They're they're going to be totally silent. Yeah, you can't really gain anything from it. Like you don't really need. You don't want to make. I always say this: golf writers have too much time on their hands as it is. And if you're going to give them free material, like if you're just going to create a debate or you know talk shit about another player, it's going to get run into the ground. And it's what you're going to be known for. I mean, I think this Allen, Robert Allenby thing is a, is is a, maybe not the best example, but you just we're three weeks later, we're still talking about this story of. Robert Allenby face planning outside of a bar, and it's like it's like if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna call out Reed or if you're gonna go on record with this, it's gonna create a a ridiculous stir, and, and I think they know that. Yeah, I think I think there's just a sense that uh, to do that would be some kind of betrayal, no matter what the person did. Um, I think I think too one thing I, I found a lot last year is that there's this huge sort of golfers versus media. Um, battlefield, or it's just like this dichotomy, like they're like they're sworn enemies. Which actually we saw with Allenby, um, you know, when he got when he got caught for being a liar, his first defense was to blame the media. Um, so like I don't know, it's just one of those things. Yeah, they they tighten the wagons. Um, man, that Allenby story. I wish I knew exactly what happened, but it's uh... <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's so good. I, Kyle Porter had one of the best tweets ever on that. He's like. Allenby's quote was, "Yeah, you'll see. This the story will come out." Kyle's tweet was just like, "I'm pretty sure that's already happening. I'm pretty sure that's exactly what, <laughs> that's exactly what people are doing right you know, now." You know, what's funny is uh, you just think like, okay, look, if you do something stupid, you have two options that are smart: either you tell the complete truth right away, or in Allenby's case, mm-hmm. just like heal from your wounds and. Like, don't say anything and don't and just just go. Nobody just go cared. Total, Nobody cares. Yeah, total about no you. comment to lie. I mean, when there's when there's that many people around, you just can't lie. I mean, tr- the truth always no. always seems to come out, especially now. I mean, if it takes years or it's something like that, it's like Allenby, what are you doing, man? Everybody, all you're doing is drawing attention to yourself, and you're going to look like an idiot. You know. That's the thing is he didn't have to tell anybody that this happened. Yeah. Like, it, so what if he scuffed his face? You could say like. I have literally, I actually, I can, I can relate to Allenby because I've, I, on New Year's, I think three years ago, I walked out of a party and I face planted and I had to get nine oh, stitches above man. my eye and I had to go to work two days later and sit in a conference room and I, what did I do? I just told people, Hey, I was drunk at a New Year's party and I fell on my face. Pretty <laughs> embarrassing. I got a concussion and had to get nine stitches. And guess what? People laughed about it, and then it was over. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not. I'm not Robert Allenby going on national TV, but it's like just own it. All you gotta do is own it. Seriously, own like, he's, he's not married, right? I mean, there's no there's no kind of conflict that way, or maybe he is. I don't know. I think he was. I think twice divorced. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah. I, I, regardless. Yeah. So essentially, he's single, and it's just like, yeah, you know what, guys, like. If, if anybody asks, there's no reason for him to like hold a press yeah, conference exactly. for it. Like, yeah, how'd you hit your face? You know what? I, I had a few drinks and I, I fell. I mean, that's it. Like, that would be like yeah. a funny little blog, and then it would be gone. And people, like, I, it would make me like him more, right? Because it is like everybody has yeah. a story like that. Um, in this exactly. piece, I revealed <laughs> my my own story. Yeah. Uh, I felt it was important to do that in some way because of just like, look, if we're gonna call out a kid who, for drinking in college, we should just be open. Oh, be open. Yeah. Be open about I mean, what happens. Thing. I'm not going to take like the the soapbox on that one for sure. 
that's what I was going to ask next was like, I feel like with everyone, you, if you wanted to focus on a certain part of anyone's past, yours, mine, you could write a piece that would make us sound like terrible people. Oh, for people. sure, like, yeah. You can write a story about some girl I did wrong or something. You could, if you wanted to, you could make me look horrible. And I think the, the people kind of approach, tend to approach articles or pieces in, with that mindset. And, but in reading yours, it wasn't like this was isolated. You go all the way back several, several years, multiple places, seeing him bounce around the way he did from Georgia to Augusta State, multiple teammates. This isn't like a... I'm trying to paint Patrick Reed in a bad light. Like this is Patrick yeah, and Reed. I think like for me, what I was trying to do is present those alcohol incidents in the in the framework of like why he was doing it and and what it says about him as a person. And I don't think, as far as I know, like he's not a big drinker or anything like that. I mean, I could be totally wrong on that. I don't know the guy's personal life, but uh, you know, his parents said he wasn't a big drinker at all. I think he just like needed to cope in some ways with what was going on at Georgia, and I just think he kind of went over the edge and. You know, like I said, it's more about who Patrick Reed is as a person versus like, oh my God, Patrick Reed had a drink, which, you know, gosh, when we were 18, we were all drinking in college and, and all, you know, getting oh, written yeah. up by RAs and doing all manner of stupid things. Um, and that's just the way it goes. So that's, that's nothing against Patrick Reed, but it's just, it's a, I feel like it's an interesting detail to help describe who this guy is, which was, you know, kind of the, the goal I was going after. But like I said, I didn't, I didn't get there, but hopefully it's a little bit clearer. Yeah, no, I think uh, I, for me, I never knew his whole college story. I never knew the story of him winning back-to-back. I knew he'd won back-to-back NCAA titles. I didn't have the background on Augusta State and the manner at which it happened. Like, that is a storybook playoff, the, the two-year run he had. It's unbelievable. It, I heard this early in the year for the first time, and I was like, you've got to be kidding. This happened. It came down to the last match with he and Harris English. Like, it just, you know, that kind of stuff doesn't happen that perfectly, you know? No, it doesn't. Like it, it, that gets rejected in Hollywood when you write a story. Too, like yeah, that. too like, good, it, it, too, <laughs> too good. <laughs> Man. So that's what kind of made it kind of sad, though, is just like the fact that the, his teammates quote that said, "I want to win the national title, but I want you to beat the shit out of Patrick Reed or whatever yeah, it was." Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, they, oh. I mean, that's <laughs> and like the, the great thing was learning like. Because, you know, everybody is always looking for the redemption story, and I don't like that. That's the one thing about sports writing I don't like, because sometimes it's not true. You know, redemption story is great if it's true, but the thing that made the Augusta State team so good was that they all hated each other. <laughs> and, so, and so in practice, it's like Henrik Norlander against Reed, and they just want to beat the crap out of each other. And and that's what made this team so, like, feisty and competitive. So like, it's like a line in the story. is like by the time they get to the pressure situation, they're like, fuck it. Like, I just face Patrick Reed every day this week. Like, I'm not I'm not scared of you, Chesson Hadley, or, or whoever else is there. Uh, and that's that to me is just like, you know, that's, that's like a sports movie, but it's like a, a 70s sports movie. Like one of the funny ones, like Slapshot, you know. Or, or, yeah, well, that's what the thing about golf in general. I, I played on a high school golf team. Obviously, not this, not the equivalent to this story. But as much as like our coach tried to make it like a team atmosphere, like we are a team, we are a team. There's no real team aspect to it. We never played like alternate shot or anything like that. You played a you played singles every single time. It's not it, you can hate each other and still be just as effective of a golf team, if not more effective. Yeah, and, like, I think there's a certain degree to which they were battle-hardened, you know, going into those going into those championships because you had a guy that everybody hated on those teams, but that guy also was the best player, and they knew yeah. they knew they needed this guy on their team, and they knew he was going to deliver. I mean, nobody, 
And you saw it in the Ryder Cup again. I mean, this guy is a badass. Yeah. This guy is a badass and a winner. I mean, that that's the thing about Patrick Reed. He's he's no chump, you know. I mean, he's really, really good. Yeah, that's what uh, I I found interesting is I, I the fact that he played so well at the Ryder Cup after all this and in mm-hmm. in thinking about I never re- I I figured the Torpa guys didn't like him that much, but I never realized that he could potentially be messing up the chemistry this much, but. I think I, I don't know where I currently stand on him because I made fun of him so much when the top five comments came out. I beat it to death like like I do. And I felt like at that time he just lost his swagger. It was the first time it really had come to public light, this ego thing of right, his. Right. And I had no idea how big underlying it was. And I was I took pleasure in watching him kind of spiral out of control after that. I was like, no one should get away with with saying things like yeah. that when you can't back him up. Because I just I didn't think he really had the track record. And for him to come out the way he did at the Ryder Cup, I jumped completely on board. Like I, I just I, I think golf needs somebody like that can kind of play this villain role that is going to shush the crowd when his team is getting just spanked by the European team. He doesn't give a shit. He's still gonna, no, he's, he's going to put his finger to the entire crowd, and I, I'm back on board. And I think he that that Ryder Cup got his swagger back, and that's why I predicted he was going to have a huge 2015. And that's why I'm kind of upset with you right now, is because I'm holding a 100 to one Patrick Reed Masters ticket right now, and I feel like this story is going to bring him right back down. That's so funny. Yeah. Well, one of the funniest <laughs> things I've ever seen. Chris was at the Ryder Cup. Um, toward the end, everybody kind of gathered on whichever hole it was when Jamie Donaldson, you know, stuck his iron and beat Keegan Bradley. And the Europeans are going nuts, obviously, and the Americans are kind of standing up the fairway a little bit, looking very solemn. And Patrick Reed is one of them. You know, he's doing his best to <laughs> doing his best to look to look solemn. All of a sudden, you know, you know, he had shushed everybody earlier that day. The European fans got really into him, and they're high-fiving him, and they're shouting his name. And slowly, you see this smile start to creep onto his face. And it, I'm walking behind him the whole time. They're, you know, they're heading up to whatever you know, Victor Dubisson's match or whatever that was finishing. He's high-fiving everybody. It's building and building. It got to the point where the guy has this, a picture of joy, Patrick Reed. <laughs> and I, say, I said to the journalist I was with, I said, do you think he's going to go celebrate with the Europeans? <laughs> I wanted to see him go over and drink with the Europeans. He seemed so happy. And, 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 it, was, and it was cool. I mean, that was a really interesting moment because he was like that. And then uh, a little while later, Victor Dubuisson was like that too. Um, you know, the, the guys kind of got him in there. And he's another, you know, stay tuned to the book. Let me put it that way. Victor Dubuisson's mm-hmm. another guy with a story very much like Reed. Um, yeah, and who's a very distant kind of difficult guy. But the Europeans really kind of embraced him. Um, so, the, you know, you saw those two moments of joy. It was, it was kind of cool. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't – one thing I will say is I don't know how much players on the PGA Tour, quote-unquote, hate Patrick Reed right now. I think, mm-hmm. I think he's changed from those days. I think now he just is completely uh, off on his own. You know, he's got his team, which includes his wife and, and his brother-in-law, Kessler, who caddies for him. Um, he recently switched management teams. His agent used to be there. But the guy is just isolated, so I don't think he's actively pissing anybody off anymore. Mm-hmm. He's just now—he's just now an island, essentially. 
But the quote you had in there about uh, the first you reported that there was rumors that he stole from the locker room at Georgia, and then the quote you had in there about people joking about that in the locker room, like, quick, hide your things, here comes Patrick. I was rolling at that. Yeah, that, that yeah. was hysterical to me. I mean, it's probably not funny to have your stuff stolen, but <laughs> like, it's just hilarious that these guys all know this story or whoever whoever – uh, made this joke, and <laughs> this is an actual joke in the BGA Tour locker room. Yeah, no, and that and that's that's the funny thing is, I mean, that kind of stuff. You know, it's the old Faulkner quote, which I'll probably mangle, but you know, the past is not dead; it's not even past. It's this stuff stays with you, and you know, it's the stuff with Reed has been building. Um, and yeah, I, I ended up so young. Yeah, I'm the one who ended up getting the story first, but you know, you know, Connor did did a a good deal of digging with his ESPN story um, at Augusta last year, and then. Sports Illustrated is coming out with a, a piece next week that I'm sure is going to have stuff too. So it's like it's not me, you know what I mean? This stuff was going to come out one way or another. Mm-hmm. It was just a matter of time when his past was going to kind of rear its ugly head. Yeah, and that's the thing that got me too. Is he's still so young? What's he? Twenty four? It's like this. This wasn't that long ago. I mean, I, I part of me wants to think that he's matured since then, but then part of me also re- remembers that. Four months ago, he was, you know, screaming at the European crowd, and, I, and yeah. I, I don't know what I'm rooting for. I think I, I just I I want to like him. I really do. I want to root for him. I'm rooting for him because I predicted him to do so well this year. It's harder after reading your piece, but I think I still I think I'm still on board with Reed. I'm curious if you take your journalist hat off as a golf fan. What what are you, is this a guy you would root for? Yeah, I, I like Reed. I mean, it, it sounds strange to say because I've certainly done him no favors with this story. Um, <laughs> but I do, I really do, like, genuinely, I don't know, I want to say like, because I don't think he and I would be friends or anything if, you know, if we had the opportunity to hang out. But, um, and I'm sure if I was a teammate of his in college, I would have despised him just like everybody did. But there, as as a sports fan watching him, I mean, I just think it's good to have these guys. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. I just think, I especially yeah. golf. Like, Go golf freaks out, and golf wants to protect and wants everybody to be shiny clean. But like, that's not how you appeal to people our age and, and younger. Um, I just think I, I don't know. Like, I, I I don't know if necessarily I root for him to win, but I root for him to be in contention all the time because that guy is compelling as hell. And you know, he, he's tough. I mean, name an American that's you know under thirty that's tougher than Patrick Reed. I don't think you can. That's the thing is he's got the resume to back it up. I mean, I laughed when it initially happened because it was only his second win. But, man, he has the resume to back it up. He really does. Oh, sorry, that was his third win after he made those comments. I'm wrong. But he, he, he has proven himself to me. And I think – look, you and I have never met in person. You and I can't get on the phone and talk for 25-plus minutes, whatever we've been going. We can't talk about Webb Simpson for 25 minutes. We can't. There's, not, there's, not, like, there's so many guys. The last that, 23 minutes would all be snoring <laughs> with Webb Simpson. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. If we did list his shanks like one by one, it might last 23 minutes. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we need guys that are, are interesting. I want golf to grow. I want golf to be more interested. I want more of my friends to watch it. I sent the article along today to some of my friends that aren't even necessarily golf fans, and they were just like in shock by it. They, they, I mean, they loved it. It's weird to say they loved the story, but I mean, it's 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 interesting. It's compelling, and I think the part that was most in, maybe again, I think I've said this three times. The part that was most interesting to me was and shocking was the fact that he's estranged from his family now. I, I didn't, yeah, I didn't quite yeah. quite grasp how that happened. I know it's not a fun thing to talk about, but his parents didn't even attend his own wedding. Yeah, and you know, it's it's. Uh, I talked to his parents and got a lot of details about Reed as a kid that um, that will be in the book that weren't necessarily in this article. 
Um, oh, if, actually, if I can have an aside real quick, there's one really good story that I'll, gi- I'll give you the exclusive, which is that... Oh, yeah, here we go. So he moved from Texas to Louisiana at a certain point, um, and I'm going to forget the name of the damn school, but there was a private school right on Louis- uh, LSU's campus, right in Baton Rouge, that's like a private high school that's a feeder kind of into, into LSU, um, and it's difficult to get into, and so he... His family had no concept of him getting in there. Um, but, you know, all of a sudden it happened that, like, they're like, yeah, maybe you should apply. Like, word came down. Maybe you should apply. And, and the story was that they wanted him to go there because LSU wanted to recruit him for golf, right? But the really funny thing is they needed two letters of recommendation. And, <laughs> and they're like – the Reeds are like, I don't have any idea who could write us a letter of recommendation. And they're like, don't worry about it. We've got it taken care of. Well, come to find out, one of the letters of recommendation is from some guy who's never met Reed, who was like an LSU basketball player back in the day. The second letter, also from someone who never had met Reed, was from Nick Saban. What? <laughs> the football coach at LSU at the time. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I tried that one on, man. And I, it's one thing I left out of this story to save for the book, but, uh, right? Isn't that, isn't that insane? I, 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 I don't understand this. So, like, <laughs> Nick Saban wrote a letter of recommendation for Patrick Reed, who he'd never met. Yeah, they wanted just- they wanted to get this kid into the to the feeder high school, um, whatever the whatever the hell it was called, um, and uh, and yeah, I mean, that's you know they because they, they wanted him to go to college at LSU and play golf there, and so they needed two letters of recommendation, and one of them, according to his parents, one of them came from Nick Saban. So uh, that's phenomenal. <laughs> But anyway, I, I, that's a complete sidetrack. Um, one thing, one thing I will say about his parents: it is a sad story. But what's really interesting to me is this was there for anybody uh, who just followed his his you know his folks on Twitter. I mean, yeah, it, that, that I was what was interesting to me is like I'm trying to crack the case, and all of a sudden it's like it, it, you know it, it's like hiding in plain sight right in front of you. I found these Twitter accounts, and I'm like, well, there you go. There's there's something you know. Um, yeah. And I had a national writer tell me today, after the first tweet that I wrote about, Bill Reed's tweet of, you know, sometimes your family can disappoint you or whatever he said, it was actually tweeted um, on, on Reed's wedding day when he got married, um, which, oh. I, which, I didn't, which I didn't realize, I didn't put two and two together. And so I added that to the story, you know, as like a uh, parentheses, a national, you know, writer, golf writer just told me this. But yeah, so I mean, it's really, yeah. really kind of dramatic stuff. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, what somebody pointed. I think it was Adam Sarson that pointed out to me once that um, his mom, I think, searches on Twitter for the phrase Patrick Reed. Like he had a tweet or something <clears throat> that said Patrick Reed, and Patrick Reed's mom does not follow him, uh-huh. and she like favorited it or something. So I, I thought it was interesting that, that she, that he, after hearing your story, I thought it was interesting that she was like monitoring what people were saying about her son on the internet. It kind of. Uh, it's, it gives you an uneasy feeling. I mean, I make fun of people way too frequently, and uh, when you get like parents involved, it just doesn't, it doesn't make you feel real good about yourself. No, yeah, it's a uh, it's a tough one. It's uh, I, you know, it's tough because it's tough to draw too many conclusions because you get into that situation, and I think it's like fair game to say, you know, here's here's what's out there, and here's what people are saying, but. In terms of getting deep into the family dynamic, I'm not even going to pretend. You know what I mean? I'm not even going to yeah. be an armchair psychoanalyst on this one because you don't know what the hell happened there. Um, and everybody's this this is especially a case where everybody's story from each side is highly questionable. I think. Um, you know, I mean, I, I don't. Yeah. I just don't think you can trust any one perspective, and you may you may never get at the truth in these cases. So it's yeah, but it's 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 that was like the depressing part of the story for me. 
Yeah, I think you did a good job of not diving too much into that because you can you can only speculate there, I feel like. You're not going to get a lot of details. The stories about his behavior on the golf teams, at both at both Augusta State and Georgia, you had multiple credible sources, it sounded like. So it was not. Uh, it was good to ha- keep the focus on what was uh, much more credible, I thought. So yeah, yeah. Um, and what what do you think is I guess next for Patrick Reed? And what do you think that people? Do you think this kind of is gonna is gonna change people's opinion about him? I don't know. You know, I don't. I mean, winning winning takes care of everything. What I mean by that is that he's gonna be a larger than life figure if he continues to win. Now, mm-hmm. this might change people's opinion, or it might alter what people think, but. You know, Patrick Reed's been doing a pretty good job of that himself. I mean, you know, without any help from anybody. This You look at Shanghai, um, and everybody kind of got on him for what he said. But for me, the first part of what he said with the gay slur or whatever, I don't know if whatever, it's your podcast, I won't say it, but that part that we all know wasn't necessarily the most disturbing part to me. The most disturbing part was when he continued and said, go fucking hang yourself. <laughs> Like it's one thing it's one thing to shout abuse at yourself and yeah, he shouldn't have used that word, but I think there's a lot of people throwing stones that, you know, live in glass houses with that kind of thing. But the fucking vitriol of it, you know, the anger yeah. the anger behind it, it makes you go, Jesus, I mean the rage that, that this guy has, go fucking hang yourself. Yikes, you know? I mean it's it, it's it's a different kind of thing. I don't think I'd ever say that to myself on a golf course and I'm I'm about as angry as they come, uh yeah. sometimes. I'm I'm iffy on that. I, I in general I feel like I, I I don't know the things I've said after a bad golf shot. Like it's kind of like a blackout <laughs> thing. Like no, it's just like you're totally right. I'll, yeah, I'll just say some something terrible. Like you, I, like Tiger says it to himself all the time. Like you suck, Tiger. Like I, I've said some things after I've hit a golf shot that I would not want aired on national TV. Yeah, and you're you're not, right. No, it's, it, that's why I just totally had a hard right. time with the reaction to that. I mean, yeah, you you got to know that you've got microphones around you and they, what you say is probably going to end up on TV. But it, it's – it's I, I can't – I'm not – yeah, that's a glass house no. thing for me. Like I, I can't get on them for that. No, you're totally right. The more I think about it, no, you, you put it that way. It's like when I think of the things I've said. I don't know if I've ever encouraged myself to like kill myself, but I've definitely <laughs> called myself a piece of shit and things like that. Well, you got to remember that if that happened pre Ryder Cup, I probably would have been all over him. But no, it was post Ryder Cup, so I was back on board. <laughs> I'm <laughs> yeah, not exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not exactly like uh, not biased in this in this scenario. So no, but, but you know, the short answer to your question is I don't think there's any reason not to enjoy Patrick Reed or to root for him. You know what I mean? I just. Interesting guy, and I, you know, like I said, I think golf is really good for golf. I think to have a guy like this, yeah, and I think it's it's one thing I've learned uh, recently. You know, I've told you I've I've recently moved from the U.S. over to I live in Holland now, and I've just learned that some things are just different. It doesn't mean that things one side is wrong or one side is right. Like yeah. one example, like. In Europe, people just don't have a good concept of lines, right? They just like cram into the train every morning, and like guys are cutting off women, and and I don't, I just like I, I, that doesn't really happen in the U.S., right? Hmm, interesting. So my my reaction was like initial reaction was like, wow, people here are rude. Like people are just rude. Yeah. And I started thinking about it, just like no, like that's just the way that it is here. That's that's that doesn't mean that they're wrong or they're they're rude. That's the way they know, and that that doesn't mean that. They're any less or, or wrong about it, and that the U.S. people are more right about this. And I've come into hundreds of scenarios like that, and I, it's given me an appreciation for what the way that somebody comes up or the way that somebody is just as a person 
is it's hard for other people to understand that. Like, there's something clearly, I'm not going to say wrong with Reed, but there's something clearly different. And yeah. it's not like it's his fault. Like, it's just the way that he is. He has an ego. And I, I, I've, I admit to this, I have an ego, and I don't have the game to back it up. Like, if I had Patrick Reed's golf game, I probably, I'm not saying I'd be like him, but I would be probably pretty tough to deal with from a, on a day-to-day basis. No, I, th- I think what you said is really profound. You know what I mean? I think, I think that's something, I would even argue maybe because of the way we live here uh, in America, it's harder for Americans to kind of embrace the difference mm-hmm. sometimes. Um, just kind of following up on what you said, the first time I went to Europe, my stepdad had spent some time in Scotland, and he said, look, like, when you go over there, like things move at a different speed, and it's going to frustrate you. But you just got to be able to roll with the punches. And I don't know if you found that, but I found that every time I go to Europe, it's you. You want things done on the double, and it's they don't they don't do it like that there. But I think there's something about the the rigid way that Americans live, and I guess I should say like middle class and and up Americans live that gives us these expectations that probably trickle down to the behavior of people. And we want to paint something as odd or weird when, like you said, it's just different and there's not necessarily a need to, uh, I don't know what the word is, but like ostracize a person based on that. And I feel like we want, uh, I mean, golfers are pretty uniform and we kind of just expect them to be, to fall in line. And when people fall out of line, we scrutinize it like we talk on a podcast for as long as we have right now. Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) But I feel like I knew guys on golf teams in high school and whatnot, and it seemed to be like the best player on other teams. It was a pretty common theme to not be liked. I remember one guy, I won't say his name for the 1% chance that people will know who it was, like the number one guy on our biggest rival was the best player in the area. And people hated that guy. He was such a douchebag. And I don't know if that was maybe out of jealousy or, or if he had the big ego. So I can, no, kind, you're, of, you're, I can kind of see it. I, I can kind of see it, not to the extent that Reed is, but I, I, I get it a little bit. This is the thing I go into in the book in a different chapter is that you're 100% right. The, you have to be selfish to be a good golfer and you have to be, um, you have to be, you have to have an ego. And then you, you know, you always do tour sauce where the guys are blaming, <laughs> blaming other things for their bad <laughs> shots. That's that's a defense mechanism or a brain mechanism they need. Yep. You know what I mean? They need to think every time they make a mistake, it's something else's fault. And if you're smart enough to see past that, you're screwed because you're gonna be you're not gonna have this like these blinders on that make these dudes so successful. It's it's fascinating. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Well, hey man, I'm gonna let you go. You've been on for over 30 minutes here, and I know it's been a crazy day for you. We I can't thank you enough for coming on. Uh, this has been uh, an awesome story. Congratulations on the story, and I I was going to buy your book regardless, and I am I'm so on board now. If this is what if this is what we had to look forward to, yeah, I think it's going to be good, man. Yeah, I really appreciate it. It's always really fun talking to you. I feel like I can't. I look down when you said that, and I'm like, oh shit, it has been 30 minutes. It feels like about 10. <laughs> it does fly by, but uh, I know you got you got a lot lot going on. So uh, thanks again, to everyone, for listening. This was Shane Ryan, Grantland golf writer, and Shane. When does your book come out again? Right now, May 26th is the date. May, um, and May 26th, it's called Slaying the Tiger. You can find it on Amazon, and you can pre-order it right now. All right. And if, for those of you that haven't read this article, I, I, I don't know why you listened this long anyways, but you can find it on Shane's Twitter <laughs> feed, at Shane Ryan here, or you can find it on ours, at No Laying Up. But uh, let's do it again next time, man. We'll maybe, uh, maybe have a more, a more fun discussion, or maybe we'll have a Tiger win to discuss or a major championship. But uh, thanks again for coming on. Looking forward to doing it again. All right, thank you very much, Chris. Be the right club. Be the right club today.
Yeah! I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most!